Welcome to our Voices of Africa podcast, brought to you by Africa Practice, a strategic advisory firm supplying insights and advocacy solutions to corporations, investors, governments, and foundations in Africa. In a world with complex and interdependent challenges, we take the guesswork out of business engagement. We enable our clients to see more clearly in order to drive sustainable and equitable development. and welcome to this edition of Voices of Africa. My name is Marcus Courage and I'm the CEO of Africa Practice. For this special edition, I'm joined by Laura Cornish. She's content manager at Hive Group, responsible for the Invest in Africa Mining in Daba. Hello, Laura. Hi, Marcus. Great to join you and be here. Well, today we've got a special guest. We've got engineer Philbert Reyamamu. He's the chairperson of the Tanzania Chamber of Mines. He's a man of vast experience in the mining sector, going back over 30 years. He started off his career in the diamond sector, working for De Beers' operations in Tanzania. He later worked for De Beers in South Africa and Botswana before joining Barrick back in his home country of Tanzania, where he worked in the North Mara mine and then at the head office, and then at a couple of other mines that Barrick operates within the country. Today, we're going to be focused on the efforts and progress that have been made in Tanzania to promote African mining leaders and African mining managers in the sector, and to encourage diversity and inclusion in the sector. Tanzania has a long history of mining, specifically gold, going back more than 2,000 years. The industry was dominated by foreign and expatriate managers for a very long time. But in recent years and decades, a big effort has been engaged in to ensure that there's a pipeline of quality Tanzanian talent coming through in the mining ranks. Philbert, you're probably one of the early representatives of that talent coming through to operate at the highest ranks of the industry. You're now, as I said, very much at the apex of the industry as the chair of the Chamber of Mines. Tell us, if you will, about where you grew up in Tanzania, why you decided to pursue a career in mining, journey of that career, and where that now leaves you as the chair of the Chamber of Mines. Thank you, Marcus. I grew up in rural Tanzania, attended public schools up to advanced level, majoring in science subjects. After advanced level, I went through a one-year national service training, which was aimed at leveling up behaviors, building self-confidence, and shaping up to face the future to the young men and women of Tanzania. I entered into the mining industry in 1978 through a company known as Williamson Diamonds Limited, which was 50% owned by the Tanzanian government and the beers of South Africa, which was owned by Anglo-American. After nine months of training and physical work, I was sent to Highbury School of Mines in Canada for a three-year training mining technologies diploma. By that time, there was no mining school in Tanzania. All the mining students were sent abroad. After Canada, I came back home and worked. Luckily got another sponsorship to Cambon School of Mines, where I started Bachelor of Engineering in Mining. And after that, MSc in Geomechanics 
at Exeter School of Mines in Cornwall. I came back home and worked for the company that sent me abroad. And at a certain level in 2001, when I was a mid-executive, I was sent to South Africa for development purposes. I worked a little bit at the head office, but I was sent to Namakoran Mines. And after Namakoran Mines, I was sent to Botswana, worked in three mines. And then from the sauna back to South Africa until that time when I said it was ready for me to come back home. So I came back home and joined Barrick. I started with North Mara and then from North Mara went to the head office. A couple of projects in terms of transformation of artisan and small-scale mining. There was a problem of interaction between mining, artisan and small-scale mining and the large-scale mining. So we pioneered that, brought some sense into it. And then later, I got a project to run uh, Turawaka Gold Mine. And then we closed it, handed over to government. And I was given opportunity to run the bigger mine now, Buzwagi Gold Mine. And then I retired at 60 while at Buzwagi. I got another opportunity to start a new mine with Shanta Mining Company in Singida. And then I worked there for four years when we did all the resettlement and when it came to building the mine, I was given the chance to come to the hard office, now being on the board, until last year when my contract ended. I'm now a private consultant as well as chairman of the Tanzania Chamber of Mines. So in my time, I've worked as a researcher, I've worked as a, a miner, I've worked as a supervisor, I've worked as a manager and executive as well. Father, thank you for that in-depth outline of the fantastic experience uh, and your journey uh, in the mining industry and, and some of the things that you've, you've learned along the way. I have no doubt you're indeed a, a very suitable candidate for our topic today around African leaders in the mining industry. So with that said, Philbert, I want to jump straight into our conversation and I am going to look at it from a, a mining in Darba perspective. So mining in Darba is working really, really hard to promote greater inclusion of and also engagement with young African mining leaders. However, we recognize that they are not always given the platform that they deserve. So Phil, but in context of that, I have a few questions. First, what are the main challenges preventing more young people from pursuing careers in mining? And what do you think needs to be done? How do we actually give a voice to young African mining leaders? If you could take my example, okay, we came from nothing, but it was because the government and the private industry had put in mechanism in place to grow people, to grow the technical people the country needed to work in the country and as well as the support of the mines that paid for the school fees. So... You look at Tanzania, there is a lot that has put in place in terms of local content and so forth to make sure that local Tanzanians are trained, groomed, mentored to take place. If you work in all big operations now in Tanzania, you will hardly find 10% of the managers as foreigners. Most of them are Tanzania and competent ones grown inside and given opportunity to work abroad to understand the broad spectrum of the business as well as what it takes to get there. 
We also have the inclusion of women, which has also been as a KPI through the local content. So the, it's, it's in the system to grow our own people. Tanzania is clearly a shining light that other African countries can learn from. You have quoted some interesting statistics around local employment uh, coupled with the fact that uh, they have opportunities to learn abroad and also highlighting just how important government is in this space. And, and clearly Tanzania is, is doing a lot of the right things. And you touched on women but in particular, and this is what I want to explore in the next question, and that is around diversity, because the mining industry is often criticized for its lack of diversity, which has been shown to improve decision-making at an executive level by introducing a greater breadth of perspectives. So, Philbert, how do we get more diversity, specifically, as you mentioned, women and also young people to be involved in mining? And perhaps you'd like to share some examples where balanced representation has actually led to better outcomes. Rora, it has been a combined effort by the government and the private sector. If you look at the institution of engineers, there is a women chapter, all try to promote the ladies into the high levels. If you go back to the registration, reporting of how many ladies are part of the group, from all the universities and the work is part of it. We also have a very good mentoring and coaching process, which is in combination with the colleges and the mines. A project will be crafted at the mines, sent to the colleges. The colleges will pick students and they'll be supervised by their teachers to produce the results which the mine will trans translate. And from there, you can see the training that's not only academic, but also problem solving and facing the future. This has gone in a bigger scope. Young people are being coached, are being trained through all the colleges that we have. So um, it's, it's, it's really a good example for someone to come and see what's going on. Thank you, Philbert. Yeah, indeed, this is clearly a, a priority for Tanzania and the efforts that I've been putting in are generating such fantastic results. Philbert, this just leads me on to, to one of my last questions that I want to chat about in this podcast today, and that is around contract miners. Because again, the mining industry is criticized for the prevalence of contract miners. You know, there's those individuals who fly in and they fly out and they don't really take the time to understand local dynamics or contribute to anything locally. From the Chamber's perspective, Forbert, what steps are being taken to promote greater participation of Tanzanians in the workforce, particularly uh, in managerial and executive positions? Or do you see signs that the situation is improving perhaps on a smaller scale, starting with smaller facilities such as Shantagold Singida Mine? Where operations are managed by Tanzanians. In Tanzania, when mine was reborn, I'm talking about the year 2000 and the like, it was fly in, fly out. Big mine started. We didn't have much know-how. So people are supposed to be brought in and we are brought in to do mining, maintenance and everything. But since then, the government has increased mining schools. We have trained our own people, and if you walk in now, you'll be quite surprised. 
to cater for spatial skills like underground drillers, like spatial maintenance equipment with the verification. The Chamber of Mines, in collaboration with what we call Vocational Engineering Training Authority of the Ministry of Works, created a program we call Integrated Mining Technical Training. We got syllabuses from South Africa and other places, combined it to train special people required. And that reduced a lot of flying in flight because we had to train the underground readers, you had to train the people on the explosive units, everything that needed a special skill that we didn't have is being trained there. Luckily enough, even the sugar industry have joined us because they also had special skills that you can't get in a normal university or technical school. You train for a purpose. So a lot of effort have been put in to make sure um, that this is going on. And to make it much better, each mine scones people for this special training from the area they operate in. So it's the people from the local location where the mine is. And this is what actually how we interpret the local content. I cannot say that there is no expatriates in there. If you buy a new equipment or if you are commissioning a new equipment, somebody will accompany it, but with a short span of contract, his job or her job will be taken over by somebody specially trained for that. I'd like us to turn to the macro picture now, if we may. As president of the Chamber of Mines, you're ideally placed to help us to um, assess how investor confidence has been restored in the sector. I say that against the backdrop of sweeping mining law reforms in 2017 introduced by President Magafuli's administration, which included an increase in royalties, restrictions on exports of concentrates and changes to local ownership requirements and local content, um, which you just referenced. Um, this led to a series of legal challenges and disputes and ultimately a significant loss of confidence by international investors and operators. I know a lot of work has been done by President Suluhu Hassan's administration to restore investor confidence, but I'd like to ask you now if you can supply us with an overview of these reforms and the extent to which competitiveness has been restored to the sector. Whenever you shake a tree, you've got to be prepared for what will drop down. The changes in 2017, yes, there were big changes, but you go to look at what happened, what was the intention of the government. The government wanted to increase its stake for its people. And it had to renegotiate, put in places what would have changed the world scope to the government's plan. And for those who had their plans as well to move on the other side, couldn't happen. Well, I know we have ended with a few cases uh, in the legal system, but they are being attended to. But I can tell you, the government had intention of increasing its stake and its people. Now, we can't argue about that. How was it done? Maybe we can argue about it. But things have changed. New licenses have been issued, both mining and prospecting. Although agreeably, exploration is not booming as it used to, but no production or producing mine company has left Tanzania. They have gone to negotiate the terms with the government to agree about terms. Now, what is the role of the chamber? 
our role is advocacy. We stand for the industry, we understand the industry, and we stand between the industry and government to negotiate the best way to make sure that the industry flourish. So we look at the roles that have been put in place, the regulations that have been put in place. We go through the government itself, we go through the parliament and so forth. We come into negotiation, and if somebody doesn't ask, we go a step further. But as you said, since our existence president came into power, she has been making sure that people listen, people talk, and create more what you'd call investor attractiveness. We are all fighting for the foreign direct investment. Foreign direct investment does not come from Tanzania, it comes from markets abroad. So we've got to make sure that we negotiate the terms that are agreeable to the investors and as well as to the country. Um, Pushing that, the government has been putting a lot of energy in improving what you'd call investor attraction from putting one-stop centers, making sure that the infrastructure in terms of transport, we are now trying to get the fast trains going, uh, the ports and so forth, to make sure that there is always assistance for somebody who is coming in to bring foreign direct investment. There could have been mistakes in the implementation. There could have been misunderstanding in what was intended to, But what we are looking at, and I think this is what our president is concentrating on, looking at the better future. As the chair of the chamber, what's top of your entree? What's focusing your attention on behalf of your members in the ongoing dialogue you have with government? The regulations that are conducive to the industry, to the mining industry today and the future. So that's where we put most of our energy We interact with the members of parliament, we we interact with the regulators to make sure that what we know is also in their portfolio so that we make a prosperous mining industry for the benefit of the country, for the benefit of the investor. Remember, the investor is paid last. (laughs) The government takes the tax, you pay salaries, and then you wait for the board to say, ah, okay, now we'll give you dividends. So we've got to make sure that we protect the industry that we need so much. Phil, but I wonder if I could ask you, you've had such a long and distinguished career in the industry. I wonder if I could ask you how you feel culture might have changed within government, within the parliament, in terms of their approach to regulating the mining industry. You mentioned that when you started your career, there was no mining academy in Tanzania. There was a very sort of low knowledge base of the industry within Tanzania. Today, that's not the case. Tanzania is a major exporter of gold. Mining accounts for, I think, the largest proportion of your foreign currency earnings uh, as a nation. So a really vital sector for the economy and, and, and therefore a key consideration for government. How over 30, 40 years that you've been in the industry have attitudes towards regulating the sector changed within government and amongst legislators? Malcus, whoever gets voted into government will always have an agenda. And his or her agenda is not her own, it's with the team. And during implementation, that's when people comes in, that's where the system comes in that, where you have to sit and talk about 
How do we support this? How could we do this much better? And even putting in what is not in their knowledge base. You do this, you cut down the attractiveness of the industry. Okay? We have never had war in our country except for the Amin War. Congo has war every day, in and day out. But we have to compete for the same foreign direct investment. And that foreign direct investment is the one that's bringing our country up. So from our side, as a chamber, when we sit with the regulators, is to put what is not in their base. And at times, they've got their own logic. We reason together. The aim is to make sure we don't kill the milk cow. We need that milk cow to get a baby cow to get more milk to come And have you as the chamber established the appropriate channels of communication and regular opportunities for you to engage with policymakers and regulators? Yes, we have. And luckily enough, as I said, the attitude of the new government, we have at the Minister of Mines, very young executive. The minister is, is a young guy. The permanent secretary is also young, powerful. They want to see things moving. Mm. We have created a facility which we call quarterly breakfast briefing. For every quarter, we meet for breakfast. We discuss, the government gives back responses to the things we have put into their database, which we want to see them changed or worked on, and then we raise new issues. This is a very good mechanism whereby a face-to-face, and it's scheduled. We have the minister, we have the uh, uh, a chief secretary, we have everybody in there. We get the answers from the government, and if they are not that what we needed, then we debate. So we have the facility of presenting what we see should need to be changed, because you can't expect that the mining industry will be able to provide, say, certain percentage of the government GDP without having a few steps in place. So. It's a war we have to fight together. We need a conducive environment to make sure this goes. And the government also has its demand that they want this to get to that term. So it's a meeting place. Well, it's great and, and reaffirming to hear that that engagement is happening on, on a regular basis and that, that exchange with policymakers and regulators in the way that you reflected. We traditionally ask our guests to tell our audience um, what they're reading or a book that they'd like to recommend. Can I invite you to do exactly that? Thank you, Marcus. I've read a lot of books, but I find the book called The Fish Rots from the Head being a very good book, especially in defining roles. It talks about the management of everything from the boardroom to the desk. Okay? If the direction is not correct right from the beginning, the followers will never get it right. So the thinking, the directives that the board gives to the executives to implement, is really important to make sure that the direction is correct. If you have got a rotten board, then you lose everything. So what's the importance of the board giving directions and making sure that they have focus in the future and how to grow the company? 
Thank you, Philbert. So that's The Fish Rots from the Head by Bob Garrett. That's yeah. very good. Thank you. Thank you for recommending that. It just leaves us to thank you. So from myself and from, from Laura, thank you very much. We've heard the impressive steps that Tanzania has been taking to ensure that leaders from Tanzania are coming through in the industry and the results that you're achieving. And not just Tanzanian leaders, but Tanzanian women leaders too, and the proportion of females that are occupying senior roles within the industry. So hats off to, to you at the chamber and to the efforts that industry, collaborating with government, have made over very many years now to progress the careers of Tanzanian managers within the mining sector. And I know that this is a subject that Laura and her team at Invest in Africa Mining in Daba will be focusing on in their conference in February. Isn't that right, Laura? Marcus, you're absolutely correct. That is a big focus um, and priority for our event uh, starting next year, but something we plan to build on um, from, that, from 2024 outwards. So this is a, a valuable conversation that we've had that very much steers in the direction of key focus points for investing in African mining in Darba. Brilliant. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Engineer. Thank you, Laura. And thank you to our audience for listening. We look forward to seeing many of you at Investing in Africa Mining in Darba in Cape Town in February. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning into our Voices of Africa podcast this week. Voices of Africa is a forum where Africa's leading experts weigh in on cross-sectional topics affecting the continent. Experts share their views on how we can unlock greater value that will benefit industry, government, and communities. For more of our insights, visit our website or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Views on Africa, in the description.